In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. As I mentioned last Sunday at the 10 a.m. Mass, how we had a powerful event that we hosted at the parish. We do it every year. We host the adult confirmation for the southern half of the Diocese of Sacramento. And we had, as I mentioned, about 80 young adults. And they all came from all the different parishes and with their family and friends. And Bishop Soto was here and he conferred the, the gift of confirmation upon them. And it was standing room only. We had 700 people packed in here like sardines. It, it was horrible as it sounds, it was just jam packed. It was hot in here as it always is with that many people. But it was a glorious occasion. So prior to confirmation, the bishop asks all of the confirmandi to stand. And then he puts his hands out like this. And I want to read you the prayer he uses before those 80 adults received confirmation. So imagine, the 80 are standing, Bishop Soto's hands are outstretched, and he said these words. All-powerful God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, by water and the Holy Spirit, you freed your sons and daughters from sin and gave them new life. Send your Holy Spirit upon them to be their helper and guide. Give them the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of right judgment and courage, the spirit of knowledge, and reverence. Fill them with the spirit of wonder and awe in your presence. We ask this through Christ our Lord. And shortly after this prayer is read, each person to receive confirmation come forward individually, and the, and the bishop will anoint their forehead with the sacred chrism oil. And at that moment, they receive confirmation. This prayer invokes the seven gifts that every single person that has ever been confirmed. So if you were confirmed already or in the process of being confirmed, these seven gifts are given to you and I. The one gift that is especially needed now, more than ever, is the gift of courage. Courage. Or in other translations, it's called the gift of fortitude. And what this spiritual gift is, it is the supernatural ability to stand strong when our faith is challenged. When it becomes hard to be a Christian, we need the gift of fortitude so that we will not crumble in the face of pressure or persecution or out of convenience. Fortitude is the gift that we need now. Because one day, as the second reading tells us, Jesus will come back. And part of this waiting for Jesus is that Jesus is stuck in traffic. <laughs> Jesus is too slow. Because we want Jesus to come back again. 
Because in the first century, that's what they thought. They thought when Jesus said, I'm going to come back again when he ascended into heaven. And everybody in the first century thought that it would happen within their lifetime. But it was too slow. And then all of a sudden, the early Christians realized he's not coming back this soon. And so this is why St. Paul is writing to the Thessalonians. He says this. The Lord, with his command, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, he will come down. What Paul is speaking about, he's speaking about the second coming of Jesus. When one day, Jesus will return triumphantly back to earth. You see, when when Jesus first came 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, it was quiet. Little fanfare, nobody knew. He was born in a little outstretched corner of the empire. He rises up in, in, in a little manger. Nobody knew anything that God had come. But the second time, when Jesus returns, there will be no doubt in people's minds who Jesus is now. So right now, when you have conversations about, about Jesus Christ, people say, oh, is Jesus God? Oh, you'll have many religious discussions when you talk to non-Christians about this. What is Jesus? Right now, we're all debating back and forth, trying to argue both sides. When this event happens, the second coming, it will be abundantly clear who Jesus is. He will no longer be hidden. And his glory, as Paul talks about, will be manifested. But here's the hard part. When will this happen? Enter the gospel reading. Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven like ten virgins waiting for the groom. The ten virgins represent the Christian people. So when you hear the gospel again, it represents us. And Jesus in this parable separates us into two different groups. Depicted by the five wise virgins and then the five foolish ones. We are either one of these two, by the way, in here. Sometimes we go back and forth. (laughs) But we're either one of these two groups. The five wise virgins and the five foolish ones. What separates the two different groups? Jesus describes it. The five foolish ones have oil in their lamps. Remember, this culture is a, in order to move around the darkness, they had these little clay lamps. They would fill it with oil, and there would be a a little wick that would be lighted at the tip of it. Think of it like a little genie bottle, but a smaller virgin. And they would light it, and they would walk around. And of course, you need oil to keep the the lamp lit. So the five wise ones have enough oil, but the foolish ones don't. And then what happens, it says here, the bridegroom returns at midnight. Midnight is the darkest time of the night. It is the least expected hour. And what happened to the foolish ones is that they were not strong enough 
to wait. In other words, they got bored waiting for Jesus. And when you get bored waiting to occupy their time, they got distracted by the world. And so when Jesus finally appears, they weren't ready. Now the question now becomes, well, what does this oil represent? Many saints and scholars have meditated and prayed about this reading. And the vast consensus of what the oil represents, it is a life of prayer. Prayer, my friends, is the oil. In the year 480, a young man was born in a little town a few hours outside of Rome. Little did anybody know, but this young man, when he was born, he would eventually found a new religious order that would change the course of human history. 480. Do you historical nerds in here know what happened four years prior to 480? What happened in the year 476? The Roman Empire officially collapses. The last Roman emperor, Romulus Augustulus, is deposed by the barbarian Germanic king, Odysseus. Any Germans in here, by the way, German, German roots? He's your uncle, by the way. Your uncle enacted revenge upon the Roman Empire who were persecuting your people for centuries. And finally, they, your uncle sweeps down into, into Italy and he would depose the emperor. And the reason why they called you barbarians is because when they heard you speak German, it sounded like to the Roman ear, bar, 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 bar. It sounded like gibberish. Hence the name barbarian. Roman Empire collapses. All civil order is falling apart. In an empire at, at its peak, it had around 76 million people. It stretched all the way from modern-day Scotland all the way to where now the war is in Israel. That was a vast empire. Now it's starting to collapse. The Catholic Church now fills that vacuum. Benedict would go and he would found this Benedictine order. And what it eventually would, it would create, this Benedictine order, he would write what's called the Rule of St. Benedict, which governs how a monastery is run. And I want to read you the prayer schedule of the monks of the Benedictine order. Listen to this. The first hour of prayer, if you were to join a Benedictine monastery to this day, you wake up at 2.10 a.m. in the morning. Then you begin your first hour of prayer. Then you take a nap. Then you wake up again at 5 a.m. to go back into the church. Then after 5 a.m., you wake up at 6. Then 8. Then you go to Mass. Then 11 a.m., 2 p.m., 4 p.m., and 5 p.m. If you live the Benedictine rule, you're praying 8 to 10 hours 
every day. Eight to ten hours every day. And you're thinking, well, who would do that? In Norcha, if you go there today, there's a monastery just outside of the city of Norcha, known for its sausages, by the way. If you ever want sausages, go to Norcha. They're famous in all of Italy for it. There's a monastery there which follows this rule of Benedict for 1,500 years. And that monastery, it is packed with young men from the United States. 80% of the monks there right now, they have an average age of around the late 20s. You're thinking, why are all these young American men who who live in abundance here in the United States willing to leave everything behind, fly halfway across the world, and to live this strict prayer life? Well, because they found something, or rather, someone greater. And the monks and Benedict realized it. In order for us to stay strong in the faith, we need a deep prayer life. In Luke 18, Jesus says, When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? He's saying, when I come back the second time, will, I, will there, any, will there any be any faithful Christians left? Again, why does he say that? Because he knows that we're constantly tempted to, and coerced to leave the faith. Whether through the bad witness of priests like myself or, or whatever else. The temptation to get bored with Jesus. And then he continues even further in Luke 13. Speaking about this path to heaven. He calls it the the narrow way, and he says to his disciples, Try hard to enter through the narrow gate, for I tell you, many will try to enter, but they will not be strong enough. The oil is that Christian who prays every single day. And it must be every day in order to get stronger because what happens when we inculcate within us the rhythm of prayer every single day? We're built with spiritual muscles. In order to stand firm in the faith when Jesus takes too long. And it gives us that ability to withstand the boredom that comes with practicing the faith. You know, in our parish, we have people that are professional bodybuilders. (laughs) They work at hours after hours and end in the gym. And especially when we see them, we're like, man, especially as men, we're like, man, give me some of your muscles. (laughs) No, as men, we we could always use more muscles, of course. If I were to go up to our parishioner and say, hey, you got too much muscles. Give me some of your muscle. What do you think he would say? You're an idiot. What are you talking about? I can't give you my muscles. There's only one way to get it. Hours after hours, discipline, hard work in order to get the muscle. The spiritual life is very similar. Praying every day, deepening our prayer life, which is why I love, by the way, the Catholic Mass. 
People always say, oh, the mass is boring or structured. I said, that's where the power is. Because the beauty and the intelligence behind why, from the very beginning of Christianity, our worship was always structured, was that it is, call, it is a call to deepen and to enter into the deeper levels of Christian prayer. Rather than staying on the surface of ourselves, of constantly being entertained and running on emotions. Because sometimes we think our worship, the quality of one's worship, depends upon the quality of how I feel. No. These monks that are praying 8 to 10 hours a day, do you think they feel good? No. But they, through hard work and discipline, they've entered in to something far greater. Spiritual strength. Oil. And when we do all of that, notice what happens next. We will hear the opposite of what the foolish virgins heard when they, they come back, when they realize it's too late, they're pounding on the door. Jesus, let us into the banquet. Let us into the wedding. And look what our Lord here says. Amen. I say to you, I don't know who you are. Because their hearts were far from Jesus. They did not pray. They did not live the faith. Yeah, maybe they were here, they were knocking on the Lord Jesus. What are you talking about, Jesus? I come to Mass every single Sunday and I sit in the pews. Just because our body is here doesn't mean our hearts are here either. But rather, the Christian that prays, the Christian that is wise, we hear the knock on the door when we're pounding on it. And the voice of our Lord say, Ah, my son, my daughter, come. Come into the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 